Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for November 1st. We begin with a look at the state of healthcare in Canada. Our emergency rooms at their breaking point. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, joins us to share details of her conversation with a group of physicians who are calling the current situation a healthcare crisis. Next, life has become less affordable for Canadians and a new survey on the topic breaks down the hardships many are currently facing financially. We discuss the results of the survey with Sean Simpson, Senior VP of Ipsos Poland. An estimated 300,000 plus Canadians have type 1 diabetes. We hear details on a new homegrown research project that could end insulin dependency for early stage 1 diabetes. And finally, would you pay a monthly fee to use Twitter? If new owner Elon Musk has his way, you may have to shell out up to $20 per month to use certain features on the platform. We discuss the potential new pricing structure with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. 607, it's mornings with Sue and Andy here on 770 CHQR for a Tuesday, Tuesday, November 1st. Yep, we flipped the calendar over. Uh, some things remain the same, and that is your chance to win on the program. Up for grabs today. Are you excited for the World Cup? We have a chance for you to win a four-person entry into the World Cup watch party Wednesday, November 23rd at the Deerfoot Inn and Casino. They're going to hook you up with some beverages, chance to win some prizes, some great games. Got to listen for that chance to win on the program. You never know when, but I'm sure Sue will let you know because she can't, <laughs> can't not keep but spill the beans. Yeah, that comes <laughs> up a little later in the program. Ahead in one minute, hockey, Tim Hortons, and health care. A few things we're very proud of here in Canada, but... Could the health care that separates us from many countries in the world be in jeopardy? We'll discuss it ahead. 608 helicopter traffic time. It's brought to you by Truman. Introducing Parkside at West District, Calgary's largest concrete single-level luxury estates, exclusive to only 30 discerning buyers. Visit trumanhomes.com. Live better. Live Truman. Heading through downtown, 1st Street is closed in both directions between 6th and 8th Avenues southwest for road work. That'll be continuing until the end of January, so a long-term project. 9th Avenue also still undergoing that work at 10th Street southwest. Two right lanes are closed down for that work. That'll be ongoing until the end of the year. Seeing light volume, though, on 14th Street, Center Street, McLeod Trail, and even 17th Avenue as you come off of Crowchild Trail, that's going to be a great drive for you. Over on Deerfoot Trail, we do have a broken-down cube van on the exit ramp from 16th Avenue to southbound Deerfoot. They do have four-way flashers on, so just extra caution passing by. Congratulations to Calgary's own MPC Foundation, winner of Canada Post's Tales of Triumph contest for small business. Get to know their story at canadapost.ca slash triumph. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brandi Warren. We know that prior to the pandemic, we were already sounding the alarm uh, in emergency medicine. A lot of people who were considering retirement have left. A lot of nurses had to uh, to decide to, to change locations or change professions. And it's left us in, in a quite a difficult situation where we're already exhausted, we're short-staffed. It is the perfect storm right now. That was a clip of Mercedes Stevenson's conversation with pediatric emergency physician Dr. Rod Lim on this week's episode of The West Block. Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block, Mercedes Stevenson, joins us now to talk about it. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as always. Let's talk COVID, staff shortages, all leading to this, what they're calling a perfect storm in healthcare. So in your conversation with Dr. Lim and Dr. Carr this week, did they lay out a path forward, maybe a, a way out of this crisis? Is there one? I mean, that's the big question. And I think that that's not clear right now. Uh, they, were, they were clear about some of the reasons 
why this had happened. It's a little tougher to solve it. Um, and that's because part of it are things like, for example, the staffing shortage you mentioned. Um, they were talking about, you know, nurses really being essential. And a lot of nurses have left the field since COVID. So how do you get those people back into the healthcare system? I mean, that's not necessarily an overnight thing. How do you attract them back, people who've burned out or left or said, I don't want to do this anymore or retired? Um, so, so that was part of it. They were talking about federal and provincial governments stopping sort of the politics game of pointing the finger at each other and just trying to find solutions. Uh, as being really, really important. And, and there's other contributing factors as well. There's things like, you know, a lot of people don't have primary care doctors. They don't have a family doctor or physician. Or if they do, that doctor or physician is so overloaded that it's really hard to get in. And so what happens in some of those situations is people ending up in the emergency room because they either can't get the care in time or there's nowhere else to go. I know in Ottawa, if you try to get sort of urgent care, like really serious care that's not emergency level, but, you know, someone who's really sick, um, after sort of even 3 p.m., that can be very difficult because the urgent care clinics are so full that if they close at 7 or 8, uh, sometimes they stop taking patients at 3. So there's sort of all of these really big contributing factors, and I think we're still left with the question at the end of it of, of how do we change it, and, and there's no sort of really simple, quick solution to that, which, of course, is a bit of a scary thing for folks uh, as they're heading into the fall. I've talked to sort of doctors off the air, too, about this. The, the only thing I really hear is, you know, make sure you get symptoms you have dealt with as early as you can so you don't end up in eMERGE and, of course, clearly going to eMERGE when it is an emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a walk-in clinic, but there's tons of people who are there because they're super sick or their kid is super sick. Um, so that it's, it's not sort of... Um, a quick solution, but they need more resources, they need more people, um, they need more money to make that happen. But these doctors were saying, like, this could be years in the making for a solution. Wow. Mercedes, when we talk about issues and holes in the healthcare system, time and time again, what comes up in the conversation is we've had so many incredible and super talented healthcare professionals who've immigrated to Canada, but there's too much red tape, and a lot of these folks are taking you know, jobs way out of their field because they cannot get work. Is that something that entered the conversation? Um, It's something that I raised a little bit. The doctors didn't really comment as much on it, but it's certainly an ongoing issue that people have been talking about, that um, there are people who move to Canada and immigrate here who were nurses or doctors in the country that they are coming from. And yet they'll come here and they can work maybe, you know, as driving an Uber or um, maybe in the hospital as a janitor. That's a really important job, by the way. We need janitors in hospitals. But if that person is qualified to be a nurse and there's a shortage of nurses, um, having ways to expedite that is something that I know some provinces are starting to look at on the federal level. Pierre Polyev has talked about it. Um, there's traditionally been some resistance there from some of the sort of medical colleges in the various provinces. But that's certainly, I know, something that a lot of politicians are talking about starting to look at is um, can we access a pool of people here who have these skills who are already here or can we um, bring them in and convince them to come to Canada from other countries? Because right now you actually have provinces 
fighting each other, trying to steal each other's nurses, saying, oh, come to Ontario at, at Alberta nurses, they don't respect you out there. Or, um, the, you know, Alberta is saying to Ontario, well, come out here if you want freedom, you don't want Ontario. Um, and that's kind of a really unfortunate situation that we're in a place where we're infighting over nurses within the country. So uh, I think there's perhaps more openness than there has been previously to considering other ways to get people into the system who are skilled and qualified and in some cases are already here but we haven't really seen concrete steps on that yet as a solution let's switch gears to another very important issue in our country and that's remembrance day just around the corner you spoke with Erin o'toole and advocates for veteran support does it seem like enough is being done to support our veterans how are the politicians feeling about that side of things I mean, it's pretty categoric now um, when you talk to veterans. And I was speaking uh, with a, a veteran friend of mine yesterday. There was yet another death by suicide. That's three that I can count in just a, a couple of weeks. That's really concerning for the veterans community. This is typically, by the way, a bad time of year um, leading up to Remembrance Day and all the way into sort of January, February, things get really difficult for some folks. Um, I just want to say, like, we talk about this stuff around Remembrance Day, but I try to talk about it outside of that, too, because this is a year-round problem for vets. It doesn't go away for them uh, after Valentine's. It doesn't go away at Easter. It doesn't go away in July. It's it's perpetual when they're suffering from these physical and mental wounds that they've sustained in serving their country. And it takes such a long time to get their benefits. It's supposed to take 16 weeks to have a disability benefit assessed. Keep in mind, if you're having a disability benefit assessed, you may not be able to work and life is super expensive right now. Instead of 16 weeks, which is still quite a lot of time, it's four months, the average is 53 weeks. Um, That's a lot longer. That's, you know, almost 10 months. Uh, and that's really having an impact on people. And so the veterans advocates who we were speaking to, including Debbie Lowther, who is the co-founder of Vets Canada, this amazing charity that goes out and walks the streets uh, looking for veterans and helping to get them off the streets, helping people who are um, thinking of taking their own life and in crisis. And um, she said it's, it's a really, really serious situation right now. And vets are feeling really hopeless and that that is a very difficult thing to deal with because if the programs aren't there to deliver you could talk and talk and talk about feeling hope and feeling appreciated um but you know they're smart people and they're aware that things aren't happening that they were promised by consecutive governments um, and they really were raising the alarm all of this panel saying it is a very very serious problem and it's really not being addressed in uh, an urgent or serious manner mercedes thank you so much for your time and, and have a great tuesday thanks for having me Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. A whopping 84% of Canadians are concerned that inflation will make everyday purchases less affordable. That comes from the latest Ipsos polling done exclusively for Global News. Joining us with all the details is Sean Simpson, Senior Vice President at Ipsos. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. That's a big number. Let's talk about the width of this study. How many people were surveyed and what's your greatest takeaway? Well, we surveyed over a 1,000 uh, Canadians coast-to-coast, uh, balanced to reflect the population of Canada. And uh, what we found is that 
concern about inflation, concern about interest rates uh, uh, remain unabated. Uh, back in June was the, the high water mark, and since then we uh, have seen the same proportion of Canadians, 84%, saying that they're concerned about inflation. But there's a, a bit of a silver lining because when we look under the hood, we do see that some concerns are in fact um, reduced compared to June. For example, uh, 44% of Canadians are concerned about putting food on the table. That, that's still a staggeringly high number. But it's down 18 points since June. And it still remains 60% of parents with kids in the household worried about putting food on the table. Another example is with the ability to fill one's gas tank. 48% are concerned about their ability to do that. Mm. Uh, but that's down 21 points since June. And, and gas prices are down since June as well. So we can understand why that's the case. So from a top perspective, still very concerned. But when we ask about more specific examples, there does seem to be some relief there. That one that strikes me is that the one in five Canadians say they are completely out of money and there's no way they can handle a price increase for any necessities. One in five, that's that's a big number. That is a big number, and it, it points to a, 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 a significant uh, vulnerability in, in Canadian society. If they cannot uh, afford to absorb any more increases, we know, I mean, interest rates are still above, uh, inflation rather, is still above 5%. Uh, so we know that there's still going to be some pain going forward. And if one in five say that they're already tapped out, what are they going to do? They're going to fall further behind. They may resort to, you know, payday loans. Uh, they may be worried about job losses, etc. So it, this does not, not portend good news in the future. And, and even when it comes to job security, Canadians are fearful. Uh, I believe the stat is one in three worry they may lose their job mm-hmm. if the conditions don't improve. And that's even higher for a younger age set, isn't it? That's right. So one in three uh, have job anxiety. They they understand, I think, that uh, higher interest rates means a recession is coming. And when a recession comes, it usually means that people are going to lose their jobs. So one in three are worried. It's uh, younger people and it's, and it's women. Younger people, fully one half, are worried about job losses. And we can understand why. Back in 2010, when the world shut down, it was younger people. It was women primarily working in the service industry and retail industries who lost their jobs. So they have recent memory of, of job losses. The government was there to support them at that time. Of course, they were with pandemic relief measures. But the government has tapped out as well. The government, I think, is one counts themselves among the one in five who can't afford anything else. So whether or not those kinds of supports will be in place in the future if people do uh, lose their jobs, I think that, that's going to be in question. There's a lot, of, a lot of talk of late about, you know, potential recession coming our way. What were Canadians saying about that in your polling? 83% believe a recession is coming in the next year. And that's remarkable because when we talk to economists, they say they're about 50% uh, predicting a recession in the next year. So we've got a disconnect here between what economists are saying and what Canadians are saying. And what's really interesting about that is that if Canadians already believe a recession is, is coming, they will change the way that they manage their finances. They will spend less. What does that mean? Greater likelihood of a recession. John, thanks uh, for your time this morning. Incredible numbers. We appreciate it. My pleasure. That's Sean Simpson, Senior Vice President of Ipsos. Researchers are working to end dependence on insulin for hundreds of thousands of Canadians living with type 1 diabetes. To join us to explain the work as part of Diabetes Awareness Month is Dr. Tom Elliott, Medical Director at BC Diabetes and Principal Investigator. Good morning to you, Dr. Elliott. 
Good morning, Andy. It's exciting to be on your show. We're happy to have you here. Now, you know, if, if you live with diabetes, you know all about it. But for those of us who are not in the world, can you explain the difference quickly between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Yeah, sure. So so type 2 diabetes typically comes on after the age of 35, typically often overweight, um, usually does doesn't require medication for a while, just diet and exercise and eventually medication and insulin. Type 1 diabetes comes on before the age of 35. It always requires insulin and requires insulin for the rest of that person's life. So that's why it's being called insulin-dependent diabetes. It's, it's caused by the body's immune system attacking and killing the cells that make insulin. So that's type 1 diabetes. Comes on young, insulin for the rest of the life. Type 2, doctor, that's the more common one, I would assume, and, and it's one that can't be cured, but it definitely can, can be handled, correct? Are we seeing more cases of type 2 diabetes these days? Yes, Sue, that's right. Type 2 diabetes is, is primarily caused by the aging process. As we get older, you know, our hair goes gray, we get wrinkles, our cells die off. And so type 2 diabetes is due to the insulin cells or the beta cells dying off from natural aging. And yes, as long as you, if you can lose weight, it helps a lot because the the leaner and the more physically fit we are, the better our insulin works. So so type 2 diabetes responds very well to lifestyle, medica- lifestyle um, modification. Those living with diabetes, insulin has been commonplace. It's, it's all they've known, depending on, on how old you are. I would think the majority of Canadians, uh, you know, th- this is it. So tell us about the work that you uh, and a team from Toronto and Vancouver uh, together are working on, in, and how could we end the dependency on insulin? So, so, so Andy and Sue and all your listeners, everybody knows someone with diabetes. Um, so in type 1 diabetes, I mentioned that the cells are being destroyed by the immune system. So We have a study that is recruiting people with type 1 between the ages of 18 and 35 as long as we can get to them before 100 days post-diagnosis. We know this time is critical because typically at the time of diagnosis, 20% of the insulin-secreting cells are still alive. So what we're doing in this study is we're giving a medication called ustekinumab which stops the destruction of those cells and hopefully allows regeneration of new cells to avoid the dependency on insulin. So if all goes well, people who get this drug don't need insulin for a very long time. And and our wildest hopes, of course, would be that they're cured. So we're looking for any of your listeners or friends of the listeners who might send us a client. We'll fly them into Vancouver and put them up uh, as required at no charge. Um, the, the study is, it's called a randomized control study, so it does have a placebo group. So one-third of people will actually get a nothing drug, and two-thirds will get the real thing. How big of a deal is this, doctor? I mean, we haven't really had, that I can remember, sort of any sort of massive breakthrough in in the, the search for, for a cure for diabetes. So is this, is this sort of becoming a worldwide phenomenon, do you know, at this point, or how much attention is it getting? Well, I mean, you know, everywhere, in every rich country, there are people working towards a cure. Mm-hmm. We think we're, we're a whole lot closer. We did a pilot study four or five years ago which showed that we could 
people could stay without insulin longer. In this study, we're giving higher doses of the drug and we're giving it sooner. And uh, we're very excited. We've had four people complete the study and, and two of them don't require insulin at all. And remember, the odds of getting the drug were two thirds. So, so just on the very earliest results, we're, we're, we're extremely excited that um, a benefit really is accruing to the people who receive the drug. When we look at the, the technology and the hope ahead, to move and, and make life easier for folks with diabetes. I think we can also look back at the technology, and I, I know many friends and, and some family members who use the insulin pump, for example. We, we have made great strides, haven't we, Dr. Elliot? Yes, uh, absolutely, Andy. So, you know, living with diabetes, no one would choose to live with diabetes, but if the, the person or family has access to good advice and the best insulin and the best devices, then we think those people can live excellent lives. Uh, one of the big excitements about for people who've got established diabetes is what we call artificial insulin delivery or the, the artificial pancreas where an app on your smartphone tells your pump exactly how much insulin your body needs. And that's based on the sugar reading that comes into the, the phone from the continuous glucose meter. I think everybody's seen these little patches that people have on their arms. That gives a continuous read of sugar. So in just in the same way you can put your car on cruise control on the freeway, well, you can do that with diabetes as well. So, so if you've got type 1 diabetes and you're on insulin, then you should, if you're not, if you don't have access to a pump or a CGM, you should be talking to your doctor about it because these things are available and I know they're covered in Alberta. Doctor, got a text from Roger who says Canadian researchers have been at the forefront of diabetes for decades, from the discovery of insulin to the Edmonton Protocol, and this sounds like exciting research. So it seems that, uh, you know, Canadian researchers really clearly doing and leading the, the charge on this one, aren't they? That's absolutely true, Sue. Yeah, uh, you know, 100 years ago, uh, insulin was discovered in Toronto by Bantig and Best in their group, and uh, in, in Edmonton, uh, the islet cell transplantation is big. And if, uh, so that's for people who've got established diabetes where we, we grow up cells uh, typically from an embryo and those cells uh, are placed in the person's body and replace the missing insulin cells. So yes, the, the, the research is, is coming from all angles and no matter at what stage one of your listeners might be in with diabetes, Sue and Andy, we, we've, we've got something to help them. Incredible. Crossing our mm-hmm. fingers because I know that, you know, we can get things done here in Canada and uh, tip of the hat to you and your team, Dr. Elliott. Continued success. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you, sir. That's Dr. Tom Elliott, Medical Director at BC Diabetes and Principal Investigator in this study. It's another edition of Tech Tuesday with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. The under new management sign has been posted in front of the offices of Twitter. And we've heard about changes to administration on the social media giants' boards. Could changes be coming for users? To discuss, we're joined by Mike. Hello there, Mike. Good morning to you. Good morning. You know, I, I think big changes are coming, and Elon Musk is putting some big pressure on employees to put these in with threats of firing if these changes don't go in uh, fairly soon. Uh, I think the big one that is, is really interesting is, you know that little blue check mark you can get next to your name, the verification? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wants to charge. If you want to be verified, and number one, if you are verified, if you want to keep your status, guess how much he wants to charge a month? Five bucks, ten bucks? 
$20 U.S. a month Seriously? to keep to keep your blue check mark. Yeah, no thanks. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. The goal here is uh, their Twitter has their Twitter Blue, the subscription service, mm-hmm. uh, where you know you can edit your tweets and things like that. He wants to boost the subscription rate for that because, of course, it's not doing well. So he feels that if you are verified and you want to stay verified, you need to subscribe to Twitter Blue. And that's going to char- cost you $20 U.S. The crazy thing is it's $5 right now. So he wants to jack it up four times. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if a Twitter's worth it to me. I think it's just a, a pit of despair on there anyway. It's kind of becoming that way. Yeah. It, sad but true. Sad but true. Interesting. Okay, let's it, talk uh, another. What, I was just going to say one other quick thing, too. He yeah. also wants to revive Vine. Do you guys remember Vine? I don't. So it was like, it's kind of like TikTok. It was like the original TikTok. Okay. It's these really quick snippets of videos uh, on Twitter. It did exceptionally well, but then Twitter pulled the plug in 2016. There is talk he wants to bring it back, and there's a lot of support behind it, and it could, in theory, this could take on TikTok. Interesting, because TikTok's pretty huge. Yeah, but I did yeah. not know that Vine had anything to do with Twitter, so that's interesting to me. We'll see what happens when it comes to all things under that Twitter umbrella, I guess. Uh, switching uh, social media platforms, Instagram, a bit of a speed bump. Yeah, were you guys impacted yesterday? Did you get an error saying that I, your account was suspended? I did. Well, what I did get was I was just scrolling and it dumped out. And I was scrolling and it dumped out. And so I thought it was just, you know, my phone was full or I need to refresh my phone. But, yeah, I had some glitches yesterday. Oh, yeah. A lot of people had glitches and pretty scary, especially on Halloween, especially if you have a huge following. Not only were people getting the message that your account has been suspended, a lot of people noticed a huge drop in their followers as well. Some people lost millions of followers. Uh, Fortunately, it was a glitch. And it all seems to be uh, fixed today uh, but instagram's not really saying what happened i'm suspecting a hack then maybe mike it's hard to say it could just be software issues in the back end of instagram it's probably that's all it was Uh, but interesting that a lot of people got that scare on halloween (laughs) funny okay uh, another scary thing uh, as of today netflix is if there is it the new ad tier that starts today the new ad tier starts today yeah so this is good news for some people Uh, i mean a lot of these uh, these streaming services they're starting to really add up, especially if you subscribe to two, three, four. Some people, you know, do even more than that. So this is a cheaper way to get Netflix. I believe it's going to be five ninety nine, and you're going to get four to five minutes of ads uh, during your show. So some before and some during as well. Uh, which, I mean, hey, back to conventional television. Interesting that conventional television had something going for it all along. Funny how we come full circle to this. Uh, but the real interesting thing here is that. You don't get everything if you pay for, or if you want to go for the ad tier. Some shows will not be available to you, and you will not on the go. Okay, one quick, we got to wrap you up here, but I want to ask you this, Mike. What's this mean for existing users? Are we bumped down to the lower grade uh, Netflix, or do we have to ask to be, or are we automatically bumped to the higher grade? From what I understand is you, your subscription, subscription will remain the same. It's up to you to change to the ad free if you want to save those few dollars a month. You know what I'm doing after the show. <laughs> you know me well. Um, I know you well. <laughs> thanks so much, Mike. Always a pleasure, guys. He is Mike Yanni, uh, the Gadget Guy. You can find him online at Gadget Guy Mike. Also, his YouTube channel, all sorts of interesting content. Gadget Guy Mike Yanni, what you want to search on YouTube. 